The Index Astartes. Dreadnoughts. Spearheading the assaults of the Space Marines, Dreadnoughts are feared by all foes of the Imperium. On the battlefield, they are death incarnate, with powerful weapons blasting their foes and lethal close combat weaponry crackling with deadly energies. There are few opponents in the galaxy who can stand against such armoured savagery. Standing three times the height of a man, Space Marine Dreadnoughts are amongst the oldest war machines fighting on the battlefields of the 41st millennium. Some Dreadnoughts are even said to date back tens of thousands of years to the Great Crusade when the Emperor himself walked among his people. The art of their construction has long since been lost. The arcane knowledge required passing into ritualized mythology and each chapter's Dreadnoughts are treasured relics. They are a living embodiment of the Machine God, representing the ultimate fusion of the biological and the mechanical, as each one contains a living, sentient being. The pilots encased in the shell of a Dreadnought often have their memories stretching back many thousands of years, and these ancient warriors are a tangible link to their chapter's past and heritage. The biological component of a Dreadnought is no ordinary man, it is one of the old ones, a mighty space marine hero who has suffered grievous wounds in battle and is deemed worthy to be placed within the armoured sarcophagus of a dreadnought. The internment of the old one's shattered remains is a ritual of great significance, involving his fellow battle brothers, the chapter's tech marines and its apothecaries. It is considered a great honour for a space marine to be placed within a dreadnought, and these ancient warriors are much respected by their fellow battle brothers. The old one is suspended in amniotic fluids and surgically implanted within the armoured sarcophagus where mechanical senses allow him to perceive the world around him. In this way, he can continue fighting for the Emperor for many centuries to come, never leaving his metal body until its destruction. In battle, the Dreadnoughts are a terrifying foe to face, advancing with thunderous strides as incoming fire spatters from their thick adamantium armour. Electro-motivated fibre bundle muscles power their heavy limbs, allowing them to fire devastating weapons on the move and to fight with all the skill and ferocity they possessed as a space marine. As well as fearsome warriors, the accumulated wisdom of their centuries of battle is a valuable resource, and their vast experience means that they have fought in almost every form of engagement imaginable. Almost nothing can defeat a Space Marine Dreadnought in an assault, and its close combat weapons can tear apart even the most heavily armoured vehicles. Dreadnoughts are exceptionally difficult to slay in battle, and in most cases only the complete destruction of the sarcophagus will kill the pilot. Destroyed Dreadnoughts are only ever abandoned in the direst of circumstances, and Space Marines will fight with righteous fury, to retrieve a fallen dreadnought so that they can lay its occupant to rest in the chapter's sepulchres. The recovered shell will then be lovingly restored to full operation to await its next occupant. When not in action, dreadnoughts slumber within sealed stasis vaults in the depths of their chapter's fortress monastery to extend their lives. The resting place of a chapter's dreadnoughts is a holy shrine, and the tech marines tend to their ancient charges with great care fastidiously applying the sacred oils and unguents while chanting the litanies of preservation. To honour these courageous warriors, the tech marines allow them to sleep, 
and only awake the dreadnoughts in times of great need. When called to fight, the dreadnoughts are removed from their vaults and the rune of awakening is struck upon their hide. As the dreadnought continues to fight through the centuries, the old one's grip on the material world inevitably begins to slip, and he spends more and more time dormant, his mind becoming ever more distant. One of the oldest recorded dreadnoughts is Bjorn, the fell-handed of the Space Wolves. Bjorn was a young warrior in the days of the Primarchs, and was said to have fought alongside the Primarch Lehman Russ himself. Since his internment in the armoured shell of a dreadnought, he has fought in some of the most famous battles of the Imperium's blood-soaked history, and even led his chapter in defence of their home on Fenris. Dreadnoughts are called upon when the fighting is sure to be close and bloody. They are best employed in situations where there is plenty of cover for them to take advantage of, so that enemy weapons cannot draw a line of sight on them. They excel in fighting in built-up areas, underground tunnels and boarding actions, where they can quickly close with the enemy and bring their devastating assault weapons to bear. The weapon points on a dreadnought allow it to be armed with a variety of armament configurations, depending on the tactical situation, and these weapons are broadly similar to those carried by Space Marine Terminators. Dreadnoughts were once used as test beds for new weapon patterns intended for suits of Terminator armor, in particular early models of plasma cannon. However, Dreadnought weapons benefit from increased stability, better targeting systems, and a greater ammunition capacity than those carried by Terminators. The sheer size of a Dreadnought also allows it to fit liquid nitrogen cooling systems for its rapid-firing weapons, resulting in less overheating and fewer jams. As well as powerful heavy weapons, Dreadnoughts can also be fitted with lethal close combat weapons that incorporate magna coil servos to increase the strength of the arms. These allow them to grip and rotate, tearing gaping holes in even the strongest materials, or punch through the thickest armour. The Furioso Dreadnought of the Blood Angels is a prime example of this, its strength easily capable of rending even a land raider to pieces. Throughout history, Dreadnoughts have been involved in the bloodiest battles inscribed in the annals of the Imperium. Their acts of heroism are the stuff of legend across all the realms of man, and few sights are more inspiring or more terrifying than to see one of these great mechanical juggernauts rampaging across the battlefield. Many Dreadnoughts become famous in their own right, with tales being told of their courage and sacrifice in the name of the Emperor all across the Imperium. Three such mighty warriors are Brother Damos of the Angels Porphyry, Brother Severus of the Ultramarines, and the legendary Bjorn the Fell-Handed of the Space Wolves. The smallest chapter of their history would fill a manuscript many pages long, their service to the Emperor stretching back over many thousands of years. Indeed, in the case of Bjorn, it goes all the way back to the times of the Primarchs. Detailed here are three of their most famous actions in the defence of the Imperium. Gatana Bay, the battle for Gate 4. During the Third War for Armageddon, the largest recorded Dreadnought versus Dreadnought confrontation occurred during the attack on Gatana Bay water processing plant. Water would be a key resource on Armageddon when the fire season arrived, and Gatana Bay was the source of every drop reaching Armageddon Prime. The orc attack on the plant had stalled badly. 
Options were now running out for the orc warlord Judrog Irontooth, and he committed every dreadnought and killer can in his force to a single attack, aiming for a point in the Space Marine line, weakened by an earlier commando attack. Over a hundred orc machines stomped forward in a densely packed phalanx. The defenders were battered by the orc weaponry, their positions swept by the sheer weight of fire. Landspeeder squadrons were blasted from the skies by mass big shooters, while bunker after bunker was silenced by salvos of orc rockets. The Judrog's charge breached the defences and burst into one of the plant's access roads, leading between towering purification tanks. The orc machines rumbled on, their power claws ripping each successive gate apart as they passed deeper into the plant. As they approached Gate 4, however, they were surprised to see the barrier rise to reveal a line of eight Space Marine dreadnoughts drawn up across the roadway. At their front was Brother Demos of the Angel's Porphyry. Critically wounded during the scouring of Hume and entombed for the last 3,000 years, he had faced a hundred such situations before and prevailed. The dreadnoughts standing with Damos were armed for long-range combat with a mixture of LAS cannons, autocannons and missile launchers. Their first salvo was devastating. The front line of orc dreadnoughts melted under the barrage, but were battered aside as the rest clanked forward. The Space Marine dreadnoughts had better weapons, and each step the orcs made towards the Space Marines cost them dearly, but eventually they were in range and could reply. The orc dreadnoughts could not match the accuracy of the eight Space Marine dreadnoughts facing them, though. Each was a veteran of centuries of war, each a paragon of their chapter's qualities, each a hero, whether clad in flesh or metal. An advance of 400 metres had cast the orcs 17 dreadnoughts. They still came on, though, and howled in fury when they saw the Space Marine dreadnoughts step back to allow a heavy security gate to be lowered, blocking the road. Speeding up, they hurled themselves against it, rending the thick steel with their hydraulically powered claws, determined not to let their quarry escape. Flight was not the plan, however. On the other side of the ruptured gate, the Space Marine dreadnoughts were ready. There were another nine dreadnoughts, led by Brother Waylands of the Omega Marines, all armed with power claws and a mixture of shorter-ranged assault cannons, multi-melters and heavy bolters. Behind them, stood Brother Deimos's dreadnoughts on a rampart of earth and sundered concrete so that they could see over the front line. Both ranks opened fire together and for over seven long minutes they stood 30 metres from the orcs, firing non-stop into the tightly packed mass of machines. When the front rank ceased fire, its weaponry white hot and thundered into close combat. The orcs were tightly packed into the roadway. The sustained fire had given them no chance to press forward, and the killer cans at the back blocked their retreat. The orc force was irretrievably entangled. Some machines lifted off the ground by the press. Unable to move, the front five ranks a smoking ruin. The Space Marine dreadnoughts cut into them, Brother Waylands leading the way, climbing up over the destroyed dreadnoughts until he was striding over the ruptured hulls of still operable machines, alternately crushing them with stamps and punches. 
where a power weapon reared up at him. A swift, multi-melter shot silenced it. It had been a bold attack by Jodrug's dreadnoughts, but unsupported and caught at a complete disadvantage, they were helpless. It is testament to their ferocity in fighting spirits that not one orc machine fled. The final reserve destroyed, Jodrug had no choice but to withdraw. Rearmed Thunderhawks were beginning their attack runs, and ammunition was becoming scarce. The defeat would cost Jodrug dearly, but there were no celebrations in the Marines' lines. Of the seventeen ancient dreadnoughts committed to battle, seven had been utterly destroyed, with the loss of over 9,000 years of battle experience and loyal service. The Battle of Gate 4 remains their testament. Brother Demos had commanded the Ninth Company of the Angels Porphyry, a stalwart veteran of three centuries of battle. His devastator squads were the very model of efficient fire support, and wherever his men fought, the armoured might of the enemy would be weary. It was during the scouring of Hume, as he led his men in the defence of Hill 236, that a surprise attack on the Space Marines' position by rebel marauder bombers caught him in the open as he moved between his linked bunkers. By all rights, the bombardment should have killed Demos, uh, but when the attack was over, his brother Space Marines found that the bloody shreds of his body still drew breath. He demanded the chance to fight on, and thus his remains were placed in stasis and transported back to the chapter's fortress monastery, where he was implanted within the armoured sarcophagus of a dreadnought. For 3,000 years, he has remained entombed within his armoured body, and as he did in life, Demos provides a solid anchor of fire support for his brothers, guiding the deployment and firing of the chapter's devastators. Beyond the Fell-Handed, the first battle of the Thang. Some of the most ancient dreadnoughts in the Imperium are those of the Space Wolves chapter. These venerable warriors have fought the enemies of the Emperor for many centuries, more in some cases, even millennia. Perhaps the most renowned of these is Bjorn the Fell-Handed, a warrior so incredibly ancient that he walked beneath the same skies as the Primarch Lehman Russ himself. He was the first great wolf of the chapter following the disappearance of Russ and led the first great hunt to find him. Bjorn's time as great wolf was to be short-lived, however. The saga of the fell-handed tells of his mortal wounding in battle as he led the space wolves in the rescue of their kin from the Dread Sun Fortress. His attack was successful, but left Bjorn crippled and on the brink of death. Not even the formidable skills of the wolf priests could save him, and Bjorn's last whispered words as a creature of flesh and blood were that he be placed within the armoured sarcophagus of a dreadnought. And for the next 500 years, Bjorn continued to fight for his beloved chapter, tearing apart the enemies of the Emperor with the lightning claw that had been his favoured weapon while he still walked as a man. On Algol 9, he destroyed the demon Thransaba, and in the Quaran's deserts, he slew the orc warlord Makrima. The rogue psyker Vornalen died by Bjorn's hand, and thus bloody rebellion on Franks was averted. But even flesh and steel cannot live forever. The long years of war began to take their toll, and Bjorn took to spending long periods in dormant slumber in the vaulted stasis chambers below the halls of the Great Wolf. In honour of such a loyal and courageous warrior, the chaplain's iron priests allow him his rest. 
and lovingly maintain his adamantium shell. Once every thousand years, Bjorn awakes and speaks to the rune priests, regaling them with sagas long forgotten, testing them on their knowledge of the ancient legends to ensure that the ways of Rus are still being followed. Only in times of dire need would the Iron Priests even consider waking Bjorn. One such occasion being the first Battle of the Fang. The circumstances leading to the first Battle of the Fang and Bjorn's part therein form a cautionary tale that warns of the danger of trusting visions granted by chaos. Magnus the Red, Cyclopean Primarch of the Thousand Sons, had carried a burning hatred of the Sons of Rus ever since they had destroyed his homeworld of Prospero in the dark days of the Great Betrayal. Magnus's followers attacked worlds near Fenris, slaughtering whole populations and laying waste to entire planets in a campaign of terror lasting many years. The great wolf, Harrick Ironhelm, sought in vain to engage Magnus in battle, but was chasing shadows as his enemy eluded him at every turn. As more worlds were ravaged, Harrick's desire to slay Magnus grew to become an obsession and his quest took him deep into the Eye of Terror, eventually leading him to the world of Gangava. Here he believed that he had found the Thousand Suns' secret base and fell upon the world with fire and steel. But Herrick had been deceived. The forces present upon Gangava were merely an elaborate ruse executed by Magnus, and as he led the bulk of his chapter's strength against the allied chaos forces on Gangava, the Thousand Suns themselves appeared in orbit around Fenris and launched an all-out assault on the home of the Space Wolves, the Fang. The Fang's defences consisted of a skeleton force of Space Wolves and Thralls, and its fall seemed assured. Only the most courageous leader could have any hope of saving the Fang, and thus it was decreed that Beyond the Fell-Handed would be woken from his millennial slumbers to lead the defenders in this most desperate hour. Bjorn took charge of the Space Wolves, one of the few rare instances where a Dreadnought has commanded a Space Marine force. Bjorn's courage and wisdom in battle were an example to all, and for forty days and forty nights, Magnus's warriors could not breach the Fang's defences. Bjorn had fought on Prospero many centuries ago as a blood claw, and had lost none of the savagery that these hot-blooded young warriors are famed for. He was ceaseless in his determination to withstand the enemy at the gates, and his defence of the Fang is regarded as a masterpiece in the art of leadership and military organisation. He planned daring sallies into the ranks of the Thousand Sons, and in the midnight dark of the tunnels beneath the Fang, he led desperate defences, rallying space marines and thralls time and time again, as they were forced further and further within their home. Collapsing tunnels as they went, the defenders killed hundreds of enemy warriors, leading them into Bjorn's carefully prepared fire traps and giant cave-ins. Eventually, a pack of wolf scouts led by Hakon Blackwing were able to breach the ring which Magnus had thrown around Fenris and carried word of the battle to the great wolf. Harak's anger and shame were terrible to behold, and he immediately returned to Fenris with the full might of the chapter. Howling space wolves descended from orbit and fell upon the Thousand Suns, driving them completely from the Fang. On its lower slopes, Harak and Magnus finally met in single combat, but Magnus was one of the Primarchs, now elevated to a demon prince by the powers of chaos, and was more than a match for Harak. 
The great wolf fell, but with his last breath of life, he was able to grievously wound Magnus before the thousand sons fled from Fenris. It is said that it was Bjorn himself who carried Harrick to his final resting place on the Fang's upper slopes. With his work complete, Bjorn then returned to the Hall of the Great Wolf to slumber until the day his chapter would need him once more. Ironclaw and Brother Severus of Tarantus, the Battle of Macrag. Brother Severus arrived on Macrag as one of 16 aspirants who had triumphed in competitive games between Quantaran, Tarantus and Masali. These games are held between the Triple Worlds each seven years to determine which youths should have the honour of attempting to join the Ultramarines chapter on Macrag. The games which Severus participated in were noted as particularly spirited and hard fought on this occasion, with over a third of the participants killed or seriously injured. The young Severus was accepted by the Ultramarines and successfully completed his training in 356M41. According to records, brother Severus's early career in the scout company was unremarkable, but once he came to full status as a brother marine, he was frequently commended for his wisdom and farsightedness. He received his marksman honour while a member of the 6th Company in 358M41, in close combat against Eldar pirates and an Imperial Laurel in the following year after being wounded in the cleansing of Koppel IV. In 362M41, Brother Severus was promoted to sergeant in the 3rd Company, commanding a squad through the Siege of Belios and the First Belor Crusade. When Sergeant Severus and his squad broke through a dangerous orc encirclement on Belor, he was inducted into the prestigious First Company, receiving his Terminator honours in 367M41. The promising career of Brother Sergeant Severus was cut tragically short in 371M41 when he was critically injured during the Battle of Corinth. Ultramarine apothecaries used his mortal remains to replace those of Brother Commodius in the Dreadnought Ironclaw, which was also damaged on Corinth. Severus adapted well to the transition into the amniotic tomb of a Dreadnought body, retaining all of his former wisdom and battlecraft. Severus's list of battle honours over the succeeding three centuries grew too long to be listed, culminating in his eventual return to Corinth on 698M41 during the seven-year Corinthian Crusade. In 745M41, Brother Severus participated in the Duran Retaliation against the alien Tau Empire, but the expedition proved ill-starred and the Third Company's captain, Ardeus, was killed shortly before the whole force was withdrawn. Urgent new orders sent the company back to Macrag to defend it from the advance of High Fleet Behemoth. Of the great battle in space over the beleaguered world, little can be said here. But the masterful defence by Marnius Kalgar, Lord of the Ultramarines, can be read of in other places. In the aftermath, it fell to the Third Company, under the newly elected Captain Fabian, to recapture the Northern Polar Defence Fortress on Macrag itself. Tyranid swarms had penetrated the orbital defences and overrun the sprawling complex of laser silos and bastions, the first landings by the company barely held their ground against the swarms of creatures which emerged from the shattered bunkers and tunnels to oppose them, only being driven back by the combined fire of Devastator squads and Thunderhawk gunships. Captain Fabian summoned three dreadnoughts, 
Severus's Iron Claw, Maximus's Victory, and Diocletian's Agrippa to assist his troops in clearing the forbidding underground tunnels. The twisting, intersecting passages were already subtly altered by the aliens' presence, dripping mucus and resounding with horrific shrieks and screams. The dead, laid everywhere, contorted and mangled by the violence of their passing. More than once, Tyranids hid among the dead before ripping into the advancing Ultramarines from ambush. The casualties mounted, and the Space Marines were forced to use flamers to burn their way forward. The Dreadnoughts moved ever closer to the front of the advance as squads peeled off to guard intersections. Agrippa was leading when a flank attack broke across the company like a wave of razor-fanged destruction. In seconds, two squads were overrun and hacked down by a dozen Tyranids. Agrippa's assault cannon painted the walls with Tyranid icor as they rushed forward and Maximus was reduced to trampling them underfoot when his power fist was torn away. But the veteran Dreadnought still held the perimeter against the bioengineered monstrosities until Severus arrived to crush the survivors. With his searchlights piercing the darkness, Severus now led the advance of the Third Company into Silo 8, the cavernous housing of a giant ship-killing laser battery. As the last squads cleared the entrance, a nightmarish horde of tyrannid creatures spilled out of the shadows on all sides. A hail of obscene projectiles cut through the Space Marine lines, corroding through armour and flesh wherever they struck. Live, killing beasts tore into the Ultramarine's lines with horrific ferocity, their scythe-like talons clashing against chainswords and armour as bolters chattered frenziedly. Once again, it was Severus who held the line, throwing the creatures back with his steel strength and crashing power fist. The surviving Ultramarines rallied around the giant fighting machine as it blasted through the aliens' ranks, and the next wave of monstrosities swept down upon them. A fearsome hive tyrant, as massive as a dreadnought itself, thundered into the Ultramarines with a shriek of fury. Three brother marines fell to a single sweep of its claws before Severus charged into the beast. A terrible struggle ensued, as the blessed servos and ancient fibre bundles of Iron Claw were pitted against the preternatural strength of the alien monster's steely sinews. The tyrant sent Severus reeling with one mighty blow of its claw, but the old dreadnought recovered and sparks flew as its fist crashed into the creature's carapace. Foul icor sprayed from the gouting wounds, temporarily blinding Severus's senses. The beast caught the dreadnought a terrible blow, tearing through its leg to leave it sprawling helplessly. At this moment, Captain Fabian leapt into the fray, knocking aside the creature's claw and evading its scything return swing before blasting it in the head with his plasma pistol until it reared and screamed a final howl of death agony. With the loss of the tyrant and the guidance of the hive mind, the Tyranids fell into confusion. The ultramarine bolter fire cut down the survivors mercilessly as they turned to flee. The third company was saved and went on to cleanse the polar fortress in its entirety. After the battle... Ironclaw was restored and Severus continues to serve with the Third Company to this day. Among the long list of honorifics he has accumulated, the Battle of Macrag remains the proudest, including as it does a share in the first ever accredited kill of a Tyranid Hive Tyrant in close combat. Moria, the Chosen On the corpse-strewn fields of Glamagor, Captain Moria of the... Blood Angels fell in battle. Grievously wounded unto death, 
and beyond even the lore of the chapter's sanguinary priests. At a loss to save his mortal remains, his flesh was interred within the armoured shell of the Dreadnought, constructed by the master artificer, Brother Morleo. Moria is not the first to inhabit this magnificent machine and will no doubt be the last. Upon regaining his senses, it became clear that Moria's battle fury had not abated and his psyche was racked with visions of Sanguinius. The black rage consumed him, but Moria survived its ravages and continues to fight alongside his battle brothers in the forefront of every assault. It is rumoured that the Red First has claimed Moria and that the chapter's armourers have modified his dreadnought in order that he may drink deeply of this most vital fluid of life. Chaos Dreadnoughts The dreadnoughts used by the Chaos Space Marines are truly ancient machines that have been salvaged and rebuilt many, many times over a hundred centuries of warfare. While it is considered an honour amongst the Loyalist Space Marines to be interred for eternity into a dreadnought, the Chaos Space Marines consider being consigned to a dreadnought as a living death, a torturous, mocking punishment from the Dark Gods. The Chaos Space Marines abhor the thought of a half-life locked away inside the imprisoning womb of a dreadnought, where they can no longer see battle with their own eyes or feel the kick of a bolter in their fist. For them, it is better to die and find final release in the surging maelstrom of the war than spend eternity locked in an adamantium shell fighting the long war as a maniacal machine. As a result, most Chaos Space Marine dreadnoughts are completely psychotic. A creeping insanity mixed of fear and fury has riddled their brains over the long millennia. Between battles, the sarcophagus containing the trapped body of the dreadnought pilot is disconnected and dragged clear of the dreadnought's armoured shell. Even so, the dreadnought itself is kept chained like a beast when it is not actually fighting, for fear that some residual spark of the pilot's soul may remain within it and send it into a berserk rampage of death and mutilation. As the raiding ships of a Chaos Space Marine fleet approach their prey, the Dreadnought's weapons are prepared and loaded, and its sarcophagus is installed. The madness of the interred Chaos Space Marine grows as he rises from his dormancy. It is at this point that the lunatic beast of flesh and metal is unleashed once more upon the enemy. And there you go, a little Index Astartes on Dreadnoughts, covering some of the more well-known heroes of the Dreadnoughts. And yeah, yeah, there's there's a lot more stuff to come. Again, a lot of this stuff is going to feed into um, stuff I'm doing with other stuff, <laughs> to, to put it mildly. But yeah, more Index Astartes stuff to come, a couple more left to come. Uh, thank you, everybody, for supporting the channel. I appreciate it, really, really does help. Thank you ever so much. There's more stuff coming up, so do stay tuned. Please, please do give the video a like and uh, subscribe if you're not subscribed. And I will be back again with more stuff very, very soon. All right. The Chaos Dudes are probably quite right about the life of a Dreadnought, to be honest. I don't think I'd like that. <laughs> I think I'd probably rather go down fighting than uh, than put up with that. But, um, yeah, it's definitely it's de that's definitely something I've heard from Loyalist Space Marine chapters as well. It isn't like just like they're all into it on the uh, on the Imperial side. A lot of them are pretty against the idea of it. They do not like it <laughs> at all. But yeah, anyway, I'll be back again soon. Bye-bye.